Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. We're so pleased to be here with you today. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists, and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with our community. That's you, listeners, about stuff that matters to us. We're so glad you're here. And hi, sweetheart. Hello. So I told you we didn't have announcements, but we totally do have an announcement. Oh, do the song. Announcements, announcements, announcements. That was good. Okay. What you got? The one announcement we have is that we will be taking a break next week from the Misfit Stars podcast. Yes. So do not fret, listeners, when you don't get a Misfit Stars episode in your feed next week. It's because we're going on break. Yeah. Uh, We have that opportunity to visit Jamie's family for the first time since before the pandemic. We haven't seen his parents or his sister and his sister's family for over two years. Over and two years. That's a long time yeah. to not see one's family. Yeah. Uh, and so we had this this window of time that felt like it was okay to go. We don't know if that's actually true, but we're going. <laughs> we're probably bringing everyone COVID. We'll see. I hope not. I mean, we're going to do we all don't the- We currently have COVID. No, we don't have COVID. We're going to be flying in, in airports and stuff, but we're going to mask. We're going to do everything that we can to, to keep ourselves safe and healthy and mm-hmm. have a good, safe, healthy, and lovely visit mm-hmm. with Jamie's family over the next like 10 days. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be back after that for a Misfit Stars uh, podcast when we return. Yeah. We so- imagine that we'll be doing one two weeks from this episode. If there are emergencies <laughs> that like we have to deal with right when we get back and it yeah. just means that we can't, I don't know. We're, we're going to be fluid about it. We we intend to do it in yeah. a couple of weeks. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my one announcement. That's a good announcement. I'm Yay. so glad you remembered to tell people. Yes. How are you feeling today, sugar? Oh, okay. So I'm a little tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because sleep has been a little bit weird the last couple of nights. Mm -hmm. I had to get up earlier than I usually do to go to the dentist yesterday. So that kind of threw me off. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, also because of this trip, I I start getting... A little bit like this goes into my next my next feeling. I'm a little anxious, mm. like not that anxious, just a little anxious because I get that way pre-trip, and I, that affects my sleep in the days ramping up to it too. Mm. It's just who I am. We're just so, and we're out of practice. When we used to travel more, this wasn't as much of an issue. Yeah, I, it's right. It's right. I it was more. It was more natural, I guess, when we used to do it more frequently. And but we haven't really traveled anywhere because of the pandemic. Right. So. Yeah, so a little bit anxious, just like, you know, running through lists in my mind of like stuff I need to pack and, you know, things I need to finish before leaving home. And it's all going to be fine, mm-hmm. but my brain just goes to a little bit anxious pre-trip. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, the, like, like coordinating, like what time do we need to leave for the airport so we don't, you know, we check in on time and da, 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 all the all the things. Which is so easy. Which yes. is so easy, but I always, I always like ruminate mm-hmm. over this stuff. It's just something that I do. And then add on top of that, the first time traveling since the pandemic started. And that's another layer of like unknowns, you know? So I'm just grappling with the uncertainty that mm. travel always brings for me, but it's okay. Like I know that that's something that that sort of, you know, niggles at me. Is that a word? Mm-hmm, it is. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, 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 I'm just trying to stay present with that feeling and understand, okay, well, what can I do? You know, what, what are the needs that I need to sort of address to make myself feel a little bit more okay? Mm. So it's all good. Um, do you know what they are? Oh yes, but it's okay. I but that's for another time. Okay, <laughs> it's that's for my that's for my private time later when we're done podcasting, and then I will get ready for the trip and and feel much better about mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm also just a little bit alarmed <laughs> today <laughs> at the state of the world and of our country. Yeah. There's just a lot of really bad shit 
happening. And I don't say that to be like, I'm like at a state of like high alert because overall, even though I'm tired, a little anxious and alarmed, I generally feel pretty steady Mm -hmm. also. So it's just one of those things that like, yes, this is a feeling I'm experiencing and I am, I'm trying to stay present with it and figure out how I want to be in response to that those feelings. Do you know what I mean? I do. Um, And so that's how I'm feeling today. How about you? (sighs) Yeah, uh, I'm feeling a bit raw today. I had mentioned that to you over breakfast. It still holds largely true. Yeah. Uh, I just had weird dreams, like the kind of weird dreams that are populated with people from either your present or past life. Uh, And Like earlier in this life, not like a past life. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. 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 And you know how sometimes in dreams like that, like the relationships that you have with people in the real non-dream, non-sleepy time world don't necessarily hold true or aren't necessarily able to be trusted in the same way? Yeah. You know, Uh like alliances might be shifting, Mm. like trust that you thought you would establish with somebody might not actually be there. Was I your mortal enemy in your dream last night? No. Okay. No. uh, That's good. (laughs) No, you were in it and it was weird, but you weren't my enemy. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. it's fine. Uh, It was just strange. Everybody was acting strangely in my sleep. Mm. (laughs) So there was that. And then, yeah, just uh, it's been a fire hose of really alarming news over this last, Mm. I don't know, four or five, six, I don't know, days, months, years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, but especially days, um, which is why it's on my mind right now. Uh, So, you know, like you, I have tools and I am doing my best to use them. Yeah. You know, the can control bucket, the can't control bucket, you know. Mm-hmm. Discard number two, focus on the first one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm having some success with that. Got it. And that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just woke up feeling weird, working my way through it. Everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that said, let's go right into the good news machine because I have a feeling there. Excellent. Oh, so there's like we're spanning two sections. You've got a feeling about a good news machine. Yes, item. which is I'm going to see my we're going to see my family. Oh, and yeah. I, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. You know, uh, I haven't seen them in a really long time. Like you said, an unnaturally long time not mm-hmm. to see one's family. Certainly, the longest by at least a factor of two that it's ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, which is really really strange. Yeah. Um, you know, you can adapt to anything, and we did, but it has felt unnatural and weird right. and sad. Yeah, it's, just, it's a long period of time to not to see one's family with whom you are close. Obviously, there are <laughs> lots yeah. of circumstances in which people don't see their family for years and years and sure. it's because there's not really a relationship there. But That's you, a good point. You have a good relationship with your family. I do? Yeah. Yeah, and I've missed them. Yeah. You know? I have too. Yeah, so stoked about that. Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of put that in Yay. there and sort of, sort of blend it with the, the feelings thing, you know, because it's good news. I'm feeling good about it. That's and so that's good. nice because that is for sure a countervailing force to the rest of the things I'm experiencing yeah. today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I have a good news item as well. Um, and that's just to, let's take a moment and celebrate the fact of Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation to the United States Supreme Court last week. That was just such... God, that was just last a week. A great moment. I yeah. know, I know. Um, it's just, it's it's horrendous, the kind of absolute bullshit that the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee went to to, to try and disparage her. She is yeah. like head and shoulders 
above the rest of the recent nominees in terms of her qualifications for this. She's like more qualified than every, anybody on that court. Yep. In terms of like prior experience. It's yes. absolutely and true. And her record is impeccable. And yep. the, the thing is... And she's well-respected too. Yes. And, and all, all, all of these senators, the Republican senators who tried to disparage her, they tried to get in there with their accusations that she's easy on pedophiles. And because this is part of the QAnon narrative that's become mainstream Republican rhetoric at this Dogma. point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that she was, you know, and, and, and there were other things too. They were trying to associate her with being easy on crime and also with like their their attack on critical race theory and all sorts of baloney. These it's same these same black. senators, I know. Well, these same senators a year ago, less than a year ago, yeah, like eight all months ago. voted in favor of her being totally qualified and, and 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 voted for her to to be on the the US Court of Appeals in DC. Mm -hmm. Like they were fine with her a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's all political this it's, time it's, around. It's and so it's, they have quotes for Fox News for their re-election campaigns. Right. Their their base requires them to be racist toward black women. Yeah. And it's really messed up. And generally speaking to uh to demonize anybody who's not a Republican. Right. Right, and, and slander, and it, because they're, make, they're just making stuff up yeah. to, you know, uh, hopefully make enough people believe that there's something truly evil about this Democratic, this nominee to the Supreme Court that was nominated by a Democrat. Yeah, like it's just uh, it's it's obscene, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's, it is void of any like morality or or ethics or sense of like just anything right. Like yeah. it's, it's purely political, purely power motivated. It's just disgusting. Yeah. But despite all of that, she was confirmed um, and it's a historic confirmation. She's the first black woman to serve on the United States. She'll be the first black woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. She'll be sworn in when uh, Justice uh, Breyer. Breyer retires at the end of this term. Um, and how great. Like it was, it was, it was, I saw someone's analysis that like this is the the first time that the majority of this U.S. Supreme Court is not going to be white men. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's crazy. Like that, it, that this. I mean, it's not crazy. Of course, of course, this is the United States. Of course, you know, <laughs> there haven't been a sufficient number of people who are not men and not white on the Supreme Court. Yeah. But here we are. It's been it's it's something to celebrate. As much as it's not really going to change anything in terms of the. The, the balance of the Supreme Court and, and it is still, you know, there are six people on that court right now, which is the, the majority, six out of nine, who really kind of want to dismantle all of the uh, civil rights that have, um, that we've experienced and, 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 you know, in which we've experienced progress in this country over the last, yeah. I mean, starting back from, you know, the 14th Amendment, which, you know, uh, gave... Uh, black people the right to vote mm -hmm. in our country. Like, mm -hmm. they would like to strip all of that back. Like, I, I think that they would probably like to undo the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not being hyperbolic. Like, they would like yeah. to, they would like to undo all of the progress we've made for the last, like, 150 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of wild to think about. Um, so it's not going to change any of, of that, and we need to do some court reform to... Which, just to stipulate, is never going to happen. Oh, that's one of those things. It. No, no, I'm serious, though. No. Like, that's one of those things that people like you and me sitting on our couches in liberal West Coast states are like, oh, we're going to reform the court. It's Listen, never going to happen. I understand your, I understand your, like, it's never going to happen cynicism. I get it. Like, I, 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 I have, 
I understand that in order for that to happen, it would be a massively uphill battle, but I am not willing to concede that it's never going to happen because we kind of need for it to happen in order to preserve democracy long-term in this country. And if we give up before we even try, what, what, that's not, what is that? That's not, but what is it's we, not productive. But what does we even try look like? Do we, do we call our senators more? I mean, like, what does, well, us, yes. try, what does us trying look exactly. like? Exactly. Listen, when people were enslaved in the South, if someone said to them, one day, what we really need is for, for, for black people, people who are enslaved to, to be free and to have the right to vote and to have the right to marry whoever they want to. I mean, there was a time in history where I'm sure a lot of people were like, that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. Look at the power structures in place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it took a very long time to establish those rights. And an extremely bloody civil war. Yeah. And it, that's honestly, that kind of struggle is probably ahead of us. Like, yeah. we've got a, it's a massively uphill battle. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice from a lot of people. But if, if freedom and democracy are worth it, then we, we fight for those things. The minute you say that's never going to happen, the minute you tell other people that's never going to happen, like, yeah, let, what, let's just end it all right now. Like, <laughs> what is that? You know what I mean? Like, mm. like we have a responsibility to each other, I think, to, to, to not give in to that kind of cynicism. Yeah, okay. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I don't agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. Why don't you agree with me? You have to, you have to defend your point of view. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I want to agree with you. Let's stipulate that. Like, I really, I love your kind of pie in the sky optimism about a world that could be. No, no, no. But it's I not think pie that, in the sky. I think it's fundamentally incompatible with the actual direction our country is going right now. Our country is not going in a good, positive, progressive direction. I know. We are careening toward a flimsy wooden guardrail at the edge of a cliff at over an abyss of right-wing authoritarianism. I know that. You know? I'm, and, not living in, I'm not living in an unreality where that's not true. Yeah. And you know, there are structural things that have to be in place for court packing to happen, you know? I and I don't think that any of the conditions on the ground are there at all. We're not there yet. No, we're absolutely not there yet. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year or maybe even in the next 10 years. I don't know when, I don't know. Yeah. But it is a thing that does need to happen if we're going to establish uh, some guardrails around democracy long-term in this country. That is if we get to keep our democracy. I mean, that's all, like you said, that's all in the balance right now. It yeah. totally is. I mean, so we saw an interview with Hillary Clinton the other day that someone had posted to TikTok. Yeah. Hillary Clinton, who is not like a, she's not like a raising the alarm bells, you know, alarmist sort of person, right? Like she ran no, for president. she's personally very conservative. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's measured in her tone. And she came right out and saying like, look, I believe that Donald Trump is probably going to run again and there's a decent chance he could win because of the way the Electoral College is, is set up and they have uh, been building and, and are continuing to build a stranglehold on, on the election officials in key states that could help to swing that Electoral College to him yeah. and give him a victory. And he, she said, and I believe that if that happens and that if we have a Congress that's elected that will support him, that that's the end of our democracy. Those are the words she used. Like, yeah. it's really, yeah. we're really like, like you said, on the edge. Yeah. Wooden guardrail careening on two tires. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's where we are. And like, I'm not denying that reality, yeah. but I'm saying if it's, it's, it's the same as, it's the same as like any struggle that you're having in your life. 
right? Like, the, it, it's all about the messages you're telling yourself and what you're reinforcing, the pathways you're reinforcing in your own brain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so if, you're, if, you, if you say the words to yourself and to others, that's never going to happen. It just doesn't reinforce anything in terms of energy going in the direction that you'd like for it to, to go, you know? And yeah, that's fair. It doesn't mean that it's denying the reality of the situation at all. It's not at all. Like, but I think that we, we can hold both things. We can say, yeah, things are really, really serious right now and we're in a dire situation. And also, we'd like for it to be different and here are the ways we'd like for it to be different. Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of hard work and determination to to maybe eventually get those things. And maybe we won't even see them in our lifetimes. But like, I think we owe it to each other to not give up before we've even started. You know? Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. I do. And you know, I'm definitely feeling a little raw and a little negative today. And sure. so I'm not looking at it with the rose-colored hey. glasses like, hey, we can do anything if we band together. I feel you. There are days when I believe that. Yeah. And there are days when I frankly don't. You know what I mean? I feel you. I'm, I'm sure that I, I do too. <laughs> and I'm sure that people listening have days like that as well. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes totally the forces opposing us feel really overwhelming. Yeah. And already so far ahead of where we are that it almost feels impossible to play catch up. And also the people we have on our team, mm-hmm. the ones who theoretically should be catching up for us, the ones who should be defending democracy, are feckless corporatists. A lot of them are. Not all of them. 98% yeah. of so them. So we pull on the levers that we can. We yeah. pull on the threads that we have access to. Like... Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know what I mean? It's like, theoretically, the battles we should be fighting right now are we need to get more progressives elected all across the country. But actually, the battles we're fighting are we need to try to figure out how just barely to hang on to getting any, just the most shitty, middle-of-the-road Democrat elected anywhere just so we don't fall into the abyss. Yeah, I You know what I mean? No, I get it. Like, we are so far behind in terms of what, like, we should have already fought that battle 10 years ago. I understand. And, like, we should be, like... We have been outplayed by Republican mm-hmm. politicians at the state level. And all of a sudden, like, I think Democratic politicians countrywide mm-hmm. are, like, looking around going, oh, wait, they changed all the rules? Mm-hmm. And, and we're still playing by the rules from 2005? Right. And, and they're already doing authoritarianism? Right. No, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, and I imagine that, that some of those same thoughts that you're having, different, different specifics of the scenario, would have been thought, thoughts that folks in, like, 19, the 1970s were having as Reconstruction was falling apart. Yeah. You know, like um, 1870s, 1870s, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Other things know. were falling apart in the 1970s. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, but it doesn't make the struggle, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you stop, that you stop working in the struggle. It doesn't mean you stop struggling for what's good and right. Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel like for me personally, if I give up on being involved in a struggle for what's good and right, I feel like I sacrifice some of my own humanity. Yeah, right. And I don't want to do that. No. You know? Same. I know you don't. I know you don't. Yeah. But it's tough. And it's, it's important to acknowledge that like, yeah, we're behind the eight ball. Yeah. It's you also know? important to acknowledge that just because we have days where we feel a little bit pessimistic about things, that doesn't mean that's a, how I feel every day. Yeah. A lot right. of days I feel very fired up. Yeah, it's you know? true. And often that's the energy I bring to the world. Yeah. Turns out we're recording the podcast on a day when I don't necessarily feel like that. So people, I'm sorry. Oh, don't be sorry. It's real. It is real. But I also want to encourage people out there who are listening that like, don't let me bring you down. Like, you know, 
I will be back up in the next couple of days. And if you're up right now, good, celebrate that. You, yeah. can, you can buoy me. Send me the energy. I clearly need it. You know? Jamie at MisfitStars.com. Right? Totally. Yeah. This yeah. has been... A very successful uh, good news machine, As I, I it, think. Okay, good. Yeah. Can we? Thank you, and thanks. But thanks for like sharing your feelings. Like that's it's a vulnerable thing to admit yeah. at, that you're having a down day. But it's totally real. I have them too. Mm -hmm. Like it's it. I get it. We all do. This is how we need to show up for each other, though, yeah. and and you know, encourage each other to keep going when we need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how about do you have an item that uh, for us that will help us get less dumb? I do. Class? Anyone? Anyone? And so it is this. What is it? Uh, it's also not amazing news. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's a bit more academic, you know? Okay. It's okay. about our terrible media. Oh, gosh. So here is something. I'm just going to say a thing, and I want the listener, I want people listening. I want the listeners. I want you just to think to yourself as I say the thing I'm about to say, did I know this or did I not actually know this? Okay. The jobs market is on fire. Mm -hmm. We have created more jobs in the last 11 months under Joe Biden mm -hmm. than have been created since the administration of Herbert Hoover. Like in, on an annual basis? Like on a month-by-month -month basis okay. and then taking those 11 months okay. and adding them up together. Got it. It's the best jobs creation streak since the late 30s. Wow. It is... The 1930s. Yes. Nearly 100 years ago. Yes. Uh-huh. And that is historic and amazing. Yeah. You might not know this, though, because the media seem to be rooting against Biden, yeah. which is really kind of wild. I read an article uh, about this, uh, and it was, it's by a guy who actually just died. Uh, his name is Eric Bowler. Yeah. Uh, he, he wrote this article on uh, April 4th, eight days ago. It may be, I think it's the last it article is. he wrote. He was hit by a train riding his bicycle yeah. like five days ago, and he's just dead. Tragic. He was a wonderful journalist. Um, uh, specifically reporting on the media. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. like yeah. A, a, a meta journalist, so to speak. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. So what was Who the watches the watchers, yeah. right? He, Eric Bollard does. So yeah. um, it's really crazy. So the press right now seem just to be uh, incapable of presenting this news in a straightforward and or positive light. I just want to read you some headlines uh, that came out last week when the most recent jobs report came out. Okay. And again, this is the most recent jobs report. Like every previous jobs report for the previous 10 months was record job creation, 400,000 plus jobs. Record as in terms of best in nearly 100 years. Yes. Okay. Right? Uh, and here are some of the headlines from CNN. America's job market is on fire. Here's why it doesn't feel like it. Oh, gosh. Another one on CNN. Booming job growth is a double-edged sword for Joe Biden. Another one from CNN. Why a great jobs report can't save Joe Biden. Oh, my God. Here's one from Washington Post. Unemployment hits pandemic low in March, but uncertainty looms ahead. <sighs> they just just the they're just borrowing trouble from the future. There's not actually anything that's happened in the future because things don't fucking happen in the future. Right. <laughs> so what the fuck? It's just because they're amping up drama. It's Here's another one. Baloney, like it's just. Here's another one from WAPO. Okay. Biden gets a strong jobs report, but a sour mood still prevails. Oh my God. And WAPO is like 
slightly like left of center. You know what I mean? They're they're a centrist newspaper, but they are for sure a little left of center. Wall Street Journal, a little right of center. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? WAPO, a little left of center. Mm-hmm. And the, the slightly left of center one is basically just like doing PR for Republican talking points. You know what I mean? It's really, really wild. And so because of all of this, according to a recent poll, 37% of Americans think that the economy has lost jobs over the last year. 37%? More than a third of Americans oh think gosh. that... The economy has lost jobs over the last year. Oh my gosh. When in point of fact, it has gained 7 million jobs. And just 28% of people know that jobs are up. Wow. So way more people, percentage-wise, like more than 25%, closer to 30% more people, think that jobs are down over the last year, yeah. which is just Not totally true. false. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's just really wild. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to say that. So for anybody listening who might be like, yeah, the, the news is bad. It's, it's all about inflation. Jobs are down. We're, do, we're doing really bad economically. We're not. Here's, and also, let's just talk about inflation for a sec. <laughs> the re, there's two reasons we have inflation, uh-huh. right? Well, there's kind of three. I mean, obviously, there were some supply chain issues from the pandemic. Those yep. have largely gotten worked out, but they got taken advantage of by huge corporations mm. just to price gouge. Yep. There have been record windfall profits mm-hmm. by all of the Across biggest corporations the yeah. in America completely untethered from and unrelated numerically or mathematically to any rises in inputs. Right? I mean, it's it's related in that the people who run these companies are like, oh, there's supply chain issues. We can use this as a cover to raise our prices and earn more profits. <laughs> yes. And the reason they think they can do that is because the Biden administration, and to be fair, also the Trump administration, were very, very proactive in terms of getting a ton of money into people's pockets during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that was a lifesaver. Right. That was an absolute lifesaver for millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah. So... There is a record amount of money in people's pockets right now, Mm -hmm. right? There's a whole lot of extra demand in the system relative to supply. And when there's excess demand relative to supply, you get inflation. Prices go up. That's how market economics work in absence of any kind of normative influence downward, which you could exert at the governmental level, by the way. You don't have to have just like totally blue sky market, like free market economics with no guardrails. You can put guardrails. You can implement taxes on windfall profits. That's an Elizabeth Warren idea. That's a great idea. So if, and windfall profits are defined as exactly the thing I was describing before, where profits go up way more than input costs go up. Right. So it's clear, it's not just like if, if something, you know, if, if you get, if you have to pay $2 more per widget, you charge your customers $2 more right. for the thing that you yeah. make with the widget. That's reasonable. That's not windfall profits. That's just it moving with the market. Right. But if you're paying $2 more per widget, but you're like, well, prices are up. I'm charging my customer $20 more for the thing I make with the widget. That's windfall profits. Yes. That's price gouging. Right. And if you were to put taxes on uh-huh. windfall profits, like really high taxes, 50, 70% tax on windfall profits, that's fine. You know, the companies still make that 30, 50%, whatever it is, but they have then a reason to not Keep price gouge down. as much, right? Yes. And there's other 
levers that you can pull if you're in charge of the federal government. Yeah. The Fed can do stuff also with interest rates. Like, there mm-hmm. are things that we can do. We can bust up monopolies so that there's actually more competition. Yes, and that's like, a huge thing. Antitrust, yes. that's another yeah. really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are things that can be done. Uh, to be fair, the new FTC under Lena Khan is starting to actually do some antitrust enforcement, which Here's is what they're open. there for. That's what they were created for. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. They were captured by, you know, conservative business interests and and economists, fucking economists, man. <laughs> economists are bad news. Like, I always kind of thought that, oh, oh economists, that's pretty cool. It's neutral. Well, they're just, yeah. yeah, no. It's math. Things. No, it's absolutely not. It's ideological cover for horrible right-wing bullshit. <laughs> yeah. That's what economics is. And it's so funny, like, my dad has a degree in economics from Dartmouth, and I, I at first when I was a little kid, when I was like eight, I was like, the only economics I knew about were home economics. And I was like, does that mean you know how to bake and sew? But then he taught me what actual economics actually is. Yeah. And and so then I was like, oh, so he knows all about numbers and money and business, and he's really smart. And he is really smart, but he got inculcated with a bunch of really terrible ideas, like Harvard, uh, uh, well, Harvard econo- <laughs> economists are bad too, but Dartmouth <laughs> economists are some of the absolute worst uh-huh. people with the worst ideas over yeah. the last 40 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And he's sort of one of them, and I feel bad about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's not an economist either. He went into a totally different area. That's right. just what his degree is in. But he was steeped in terrible ideas. This but his what, worldview stems a lot from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, and, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you, you go to a place, a world-renowned place, a world-renowned college, like he was the first person in his family ever to go to college, mm-hmm. ever. And he got a scholarship to Dartmouth. Amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally amazing. Yeah. And then just got promptly got his head filled with terrible ideas. Yeah. I feel so lucky I dodged that bullet because <laughs> when I applied to college, I only applied to three, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be in Boston because that's all I knew because it was the closest big city to where mm-hmm. I grew up and mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And so I applied to BU as like a safety school and yeah. I applied to Tufts as like a middle target school and I applied to Harvard as a reach for it school. Yeah. I didn't get into Harvard. And thank God. Because right, I had friends yeah. who went to Harvard and they were miserable. And also we have learned subsequently in our adult lives what a terrible actor Harvard is and what bad ideas they impregnate in their people who go yeah. there. I am so glad I didn't go there. I got really lucky. I went to a super liberal, liberal arts university and I got filled with good ideas. Or right. at least the capacity to evaluate ideas yeah. on their own merits. Yeah. I got filled with some competing ideas. Yeah. There were definitely some more conservative people and some more liberal people. Definitely yeah. more liberal people. It was a pretty liberal sure. place. But like, I didn't get like, I didn't get like, dogmatized. Right. Which you know? seems that those, yeah. So yeah. anyway, sorry about the digression about all of that, <laughs> but suffice to say, uh, we need to be telling better stories in this country yeah. about like how we're actually doing because like, you can only make judgments based on the information you're given. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the media are doing this on purpose to make it so that the that there's, well, there's I don't know. There's lots of incentives, right? One of the incentives is is just ramping up the drama. And if it's it's like it's like yep. a short-term profits motive for media. You know, like we gotta have a a controversial sounding headline so people will click through and yep. like keep them scared, keep them on the edge of their seats, you know, like yep. there there is that. Like I think the media are like incapable of just reporting good things. Like it is, yeah. it's, there's, there's got to always be a hook to keep people coming back so they can sell more ads. Like it's a broken system in that regard. But also another aspect of it is that like Republicans for decades have been doing a fantastic job of, of uh, incorrectly labeling the media as a left-leaning or a left-leaning system. They have a liberal bias mm-hmm. and the media have responded to that 
that propaganda mm-hmm. about themselves yep. by really trying to be very careful in both sides, everything. And so now we've to the point where like the media are like freaking both sides in Nazism. Yep. They're both sides in January 6th. Yep. Like it's taken them so long to get to the point where they're like actually calling things what they are, like that these were election lies, yep. that Trump says lies about the election. And they don't do it consistently. No, they still don't. So again, from this Eric Bullard article, he, sort of, he addresses this. He says, the glaring disconnect between reality and how the press depicts White House accomplishments means a key question lingers. Why is the press rooting against Biden? Is the press either hoping for a Trump return to the White House or at least committed to keeping Biden down so the 2024 rematch will be close and entertaining for the press to cover? I do not want to be entertained. Is that why the Ginny Thomas insurrection story was politely marched off the stage after just a few days of coverage last week by the same news outlets that are now in year three of their dogged Hunter Biden reporting? Oh, for yes. Oh, my God. Yes, I just, sorry, I had my hands in my face because <laughs> my face in my hands, I was just like so exacerbated. If I'm you're sure wondering why Shannon's microphone sounded funny. Yes, yeah. no, it's just that I'm like, oh, just over it. Yeah, yeah. It, wow, yeah, I know. Um, so it's up to us to educate ourselves and to educate each other about actual real facts. Like we just have to keep that going. We have to confront the lies when we see them. We have to... We have to to know what is true and speak what is true in the face of lies and, and in the face of, of misrepresentations of reality. Like, it's up to us. And we got to tell each other because we can't trust the media to do it. Right. You know? Good Lord. And so, you know, you were talking earlier about things that we can do and keeping our eyes on the prize yes. and fighting the good fight, even though it might seem against insurmountable odds. Yeah. Like, part of that can be, like, you know, if you're not, if you're not getting the honesty and accuracy that you need from the media, be the media. Right? Mm-hmm. Tell people. Start a podcast. <laughs> right? Start a podcast with 150 listeners per week and change the world. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you for that. I, I feel less dumb. And more also, angry. And then Let's more, get more angry. Let's, yeah, I'm more angry. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, shall we make some suggestions in the suggestion box? I don't have any. Do you? I do. Oh, you do? I do. I want to speak to your manager now, please. I have one. I have one item for the suggestion box. Um... Please wear your masks. <laughs> Just yeah. wear your masks when you go out in public. I'm thinking specifically of a couple, a few different examples. Um, uh, so we follow a lot of, of bands and musicians um, yeah. on social media. Pulling um, one up now. And, uh, you know, people who have, you know, not been able, people, people, us included, who've not been able to tour for the last couple of years because of COVID. And, uh, and, and as a result of not being able to tour, a lot of these people, us included, um, have lost that entire stream of their income. Uh, and for a lot of touring musicians, their touring income is their income. Like yeah. that is, record sales aren't happening anymore. People don't buy records by and large, not enough to make an actual income out of. No. It's streaming and streaming pays crap and it's that's a whole other issue. But like, but, but touring income is how musicians, has how working musicians earn a living. Yeah. So, like, you know, like people like me and Shannon. Two years, yeah. Two years into the pandemic, two years plus, people, bands and artists are, are back out there trying to, to tour again because, you know, vaccinations are a thing and, you know, we're... we're between we, waves. We're between, yeah, so people are out there trying to work. And we have heard just in the last week of like two or three different bands that we follow. Oh, for me, it's been much more like seven. Oh my gosh, okay. Who went out on their first tour in two years? 
and got into these venues that aren't requiring masking anymore. Right. Um, and so a lot of people at the shows, most people are not masking. And these bands, these artists get like one week, two weeks into their tour and a crew member or a band member gets COVID. And guess what happens then? The entire tour is canceled. It ends and right there. All of the investment that they have made to go on that tour is burned up yep. in a pile of ash. And and their and their ability to to recoup any of that money is gone. Their ability to earn an income for themselves, gone. Like it's important for people listening to understand that like touring you don't start out making money on show one. You've got to invest money to go on tour. Yeah. I mean, even for me and Shannon, our little tiny two-person thing that we do, yeah. we come out of pocket about $5,000 before we start a tour because mm -hmm. we have to invest in the entire merchandise line that we're bringing with us. And the equipment we have to update. Yep. Like there's a bit, there's a big output at the set at the at the outset of a tour that we bank on being able to recoup on and then eventually making a profit yeah. on. For a band that's on tour, it could it could be oh. well under the five digits. Oh, absolutely. 10, 15, 20,000 dollars of upfront costs. Absolutely. You know? Yes. And so you're you know, if you're doing a 30 show tour, mm -hmm. you know, by the time you get through show 7, 8, whatever, you're about equal mm -hmm. and everything show 9 and on or whatever is mm -hmm. profit. So you can make profit on those last 21 shows and do really well. Right. But you've got to be able to do the whole thing. So can I read a Twitter thread from one of these bands? Oh, yes, please do. So there's this band called Super Chunk. They've been around forever, since the 90s. Yeah. Uh, more of kind of like a legacy band now. But also still really relevant people because yeah. the owners started Merge Records and have had a whole second life mm -hmm. doing that and helping other bands. Mm -hmm. So they tweeted uh, yesterday, Hey, people, been dreading this, but we are very sorry to have to reschedule our East Coast tour again. Oh my gosh. This is not the first time they've oh rescheduled this tour. This time, due to illness within our band, we look forward to playing these shows when everyone is healthy. As someone who loves playing shows, I still have to say, touring sucks right now. <sighs> when the band are the only masked people in the venue, it's clear that this stage of the pandemic is going to be around for a while. Oh, our fans are great and supportive and patient and understanding, and the six shows we have played uh, have all been fun and gratifying. But the general public, including many at our shows, seem to think COVID is over, meaning it won't be over anytime soon. Right. We hate that we won't be playing this week. We hate canceling shows and have been taking all precautions, but this thing is sneaky, as you have heard by now. Mm. Rescheduled dates, news will be coming soon, so watch the space, apologies again, and see you soon. Uh, and you know, somebody else I saw commenting on this, I don't know where it is right now, mm. but was basically saying that like, what is this, does it just mean, do, do, do fans want, do people who love music, is what they want for like, their favorite bands just to be on tour and be available to them, but then not have to, to have to do anything in reciprocity right. as part of the equation. Right. Like, are musicians just supposed to get sick with COVID over and over and over for like indefinitely? Right. Is that is that what we expect of musicians? I mean, now? and and also let's extrapolate that from musicians to anybody who works in the public, yeah. like anyone that you interact with. Yeah that's in a space working that you want or need to be in for your life to do your to do your thing and you walk in there unmasked you're putting them at risk yep. you're putting their lives at risk their families at risk it's not it's it's the same old story as we were telling 2 years ago Nothing's it's the changed. same i mean we've got vaccinations but these you know they're not as effective against omicron strain that we're dealing with now you and know also and also a bunch like, of dumb motherfuckers haven't taken it and then there's that too you know like so it's just it, i i understand I understand deeply within my soul the desire to get back to something that feels more like what we used to know as normal. But guess what? We're not there and we're not close and we're not going to get there ever, no. especially if people don't 
keep considering each other. And like this is this is really hitting home in terms of the music stuff. Like yeah. I, I mean, it's we miss our a, people too. We do. We really do. And like thinking about how we're going to move forward. I just don't know. Thinking but about like, how we're going to keep supporting ourselves. Exactly. You know, like it is really, it's really distressing. You yeah. know, to think about. So my but my suggestion box item is just you know if we're talking about things that us as individuals can do, wear your freaking masks. Yeah. I know they're not mandated most places anymore. So that means you actually have to be a responsible adult with morals. Exactly. Exactly. You don't need to be told like a toddler what to do. Just and if, do and if a grown up isn't telling you to wear your mask, that means it's on you now as a grown up to wear your mask. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yes. like we're kind of we need to be past toddler time. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my suggestion box item. We're not done with this. It's no. hitting home in a very close kind of way in terms of the music community. Yeah. And so wear your masks. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we really need to do something fun and positive. So how about we do Where's My Gold Star? Awesome. I'm so excited yeah, about this. Yeah, me too. And Because this is something that's actually good and we're proud of. I think we're both <laughs> going to ask for stars. I'm stoked. Yes. Do, uh, do you want to set it up, sweetheart? We have a new song that Woo-hoo. came out today, the day we're recording this. Uh, and we would like to both request gold stars for yeah. this song. Um, it's the sixth song in our album project for this year. Um, this whole album project is about the, the idea, the pursuit of getting some personal peace of mind, some serenity, and also uh, figuring out how to exercise our agency during difficult circumstances and difficult times, which mm-hmm. if you've listened to the first half of this podcast, you've heard us enum- elucidate, enumerate some of those things. Both, Both yes. Um, so, so the sixth step in this journey, um, all these songs are coming out of journal prompts that I'm giving myself and I'm writing about the, these journal prompts in a sort of a step-by-step fashion. And then She's the song- like giving herself homework and then doing the homework and then basing the songs on the homework. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. It's Is very that, adult. It is very, yes. I was. I don't have enough homework. I'm going to make myself some homework. <laughs> that was Shannon when she was like seven. <laughs> no. But it's been a great exercise. It's, it's actually really helpful, I think, in terms of, of being a creator to have an assignment. Yep. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you sit down to create something, if, if, if the possibilities are too endless, it becomes paralyzing, right? Yeah. So, so I, a blank page can be real blank. Yeah. Giving myself an assignment like this is actually really helpful. So yeah. I'm, I'm not doing it for the sake of giving myself homework. It's actually a structure that's very useful in actually producing stuff. So yeah. this step of the journey, though, is about the role of courage in all of this. Because, you know, I'm kind of loosely basing these steps around some of the ideas in the serenity prayer, which is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been exploring ideas about like, let's like really name the things that are, you know, that are upsetting us or causing us discomfort. Let's really talk about what are like our base feelings and reactions and our like ingrained coping mechanisms are against those things, you know, when we were confronted with those things. Let's talk about how we come to terms with our powerlessness in some of these circumstances. I mean, like <laughs> we were kind of exploring a little bit of that earlier in our discussion today, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of things over which we do not have power, things that we do not have the personally the power to change. Um, and then getting to a place of, of, of acceptance of those things that, that really just being with what is in a way that allows us to be free from trying to uh, exert power where we don't have power, right? Like that just consumes so much energy and creates so much suffering in our lives. And so the next, we're kind of emerging. I feel like this song is sort of like an emerging into the a next phase of things. 
because we're moving into courage to change the things I can. And so when I, when I, the journal prompts that I gave myself for this exercise were first of all, just to make a list, like as many things as I could think of, of things that I do have the power to change. Mm-hmm. And it was really an interesting exercise to go through that. Um, there were things that popped up that I hadn't expected, you know? It was really good for me to just really in black and white list those things out. You're like underpants. Hey, yo. I to change my underpants, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I would go under the category of I, I do have the power to to uh, uh, take care of myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to stay, like, clean, you know? Underpants. <laughs> But you know, it was really interesting, and I, um, given that we that that this this phrase of this of the serenity prayer that is informing this this phase of stuff, courage to change the things I can, I wanted to explore why courage might be necessary to do those things. And really, as I looked over the list that I had made, I realized that a lot of those things absolutely require courage, um, mm-hmm. because. For a lot of reasons. I mean, one is that like that list, you know, I realized that that when I'm when I'm not focused on the things that I do have the power to change, I'm I'm oftentimes focused on blaming other things or other people for reasons why I'm stuck where I'm stuck. Mm. You know what I mean? And that list showed me that I don't get to blame. <laughs> like there's a lot of power that I have. And it felt a little bit vulnerable to admit that because the responsibility is now on my shoulders for my life, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's a bit scary, but it's also the only place in which you get to actually experience the life you want mm-hmm. is when you get when you do those things and you engage in the stuff that you have the power to do in your own life. Yeah. And so it's this, I, I, as I was journaling, I, you know, I, I wrote some other questions for myself about exploring what it, you know, what that vulnerability feels like. Um, what are the risks of, of um, doing these things that I have the power to change? What are the risks of not doing them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, you put those things side by side and like the risks of not doing the things I have the power to change, like the, the cost of that is way greater mm-hmm. than actually putting myself on the line to do these things. Because yeah. the cost is an unfulfilled, unrealized life. It's The cost is disconnection from myself and from other people. The cost is stagnation and uh, and just stuckness in a place that I don't want to be. Um, the cost is, I mean, there's just so many and I don't, I don't want that. Uh, so I was really sort of like in, in my, as I was working through this, I visualized this idea of like, like we come across these moments. It doesn't happen just once. This is not a one-time thing. This, this is this moment that I'm about to describe happens all the time in our lives. It, it, it has happened many times in my life already. It will happen many times more to come, I'm sure. But a moment where you realize, okay, I am faced with this, this opportunity here where uh, I, can, I can make a leap over into this new thing, this, this taking my power and doing, changing this thing that I can change. Mm-hmm. Or I cannot, and that's a choice. And I visualize it as like, Two like a like like two peaks or edges like cliff edges mm-hmm. coming sort of meeting together, but there's this deep and narrow canyon beneath it, mm. and like you have to leap over like an action movie. Yeah, and I'm terrified of heights. Like I really like when I see like a, when I'm watching an action movie and somebody's like dangling from a skyscraper or something, my palms get sweaty. Oh, totally. And I get this like pang. It's actually in my groin. I described it in my essay as it being in my lower abdomen. But I'm just going to say right now, I feel it in my groin. I don't know why, but yeah. like I get this like feeling <laughs> down there. It's just it's it's just instinctive, yeah. right? So even though it's a movie, I still get that reaction. 
but like the idea for me is that in this visualization is that is that courage is what's going to propel me over. The risks are in the bottom of that canyon. It is humiliation, it's embarrassment, it's criticism, it's it's loss, it's grief, it's all it's change. It's the stuff that that I that I fear. Courage is the thing that will help me leap over to the other side. That really on the other side of courage is all the stuff I want in my life. Staying on the safe side keeps me stuck in places I don't want to be. And this song is really sort of about that moment of when we come to those moments, like, okay, it's now or never. Watch me do this. Here I go. Yeah. And that's what the song is. It's called uh, Sweat and Butterflies. <laughs> Just 
Ah, the fake out. That's fake out. That's a term that I think we invented around the house. So a fake out is this, people. It's when there's a fade out, but then the song actually ends in the fade out. Yeah. Like it doesn't just keep going and fade out to zero. Like it fades out to like 20%, but then quietly down there it ends. You've been faked out. Ha ha. Gotcha. (laughs) If you weren't paying attention, you're probably like, oh, it's a fade out. And then you like tuned out. But actually... I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because there is some stuff that changes musically halfway through the fade out. The bass, the synth bass, completely changes the pattern and really changes the feel and the vibe halfway Mm -hmm. through. There is a synth solo that comes in halfway through the ending. And then there's the fake out. Yeah. There's a lot happening there. It's an action-packed ending. It's a whole world. So I would like to request a gold star for that song, please. Let me think. Okay, gold star. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you know what? I want to request a gold star too, and I'll tell you why. Please. So the, the mix, this happens sometimes with songs. Sometimes songs are easy. They just come right out. You do them. You're done. You play them some places. They sound real good. And that's that. Mm-hmm. And then some of them, you get 98% of the way there, and it's amazing. But it just needs the last 2%. It's not quite there. You can tell. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really close. And so you try like a hundred different things. Yes. And this was one of those for sure. Yeah. Got to a hundred eventually and I feel great about it. Maybe got to 101 eventually. <laughs> like I feel really, really, really good about it. But the last 2% was really hard. It took like four days. And what I want to request a gold star for is the very disciplined way in which I approached it. Mm. I did a really good job versioning and making sure that I knew with the, at all times with the last best version was. And if something wasn't currently working, I didn't try just to keep changing. I went back Mm. to the previous, because I always save session backups of everything. does require a lot of discipline. Yeah. And especially like sometimes I was juggling and comparing multiple versions at the same time, you know, and like to know what the antecedent for each of those was and to be able to go back to it and branch off in a different direction. Yeah. It's a lot to keep track of. Because when you're, when you're doing creative work, the, the tendency, like the, the, the thing you want is just to keep moving forward. Yeah. So it really does require a lot of like discipline to be like, okay, no, we have to push pause on the forward motion and go back to this place where we were and start again from the, at that spot. That's a, it takes a lot of like emotional uh, control. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and like you said, it's really anti-intuitive when you're an artist. You just want to keep changing stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's something actually that like when I mentor people, like I don't start doing this immediately because it's a sort of next level skill. Mm. It's like, it's not a one-on-one level thing. It's like a 202, you know? (laughs) But like, I'm making a second uh, album with Rose right now, for example, you know, Rose Alimo. She's amazing. Uh, I mentored her through making her first record last year and we're working on her second record now. Mm. She's so freaking talented. But because she's so talented, I'm now at a place where I can teach her next level concepts, Mm -hmm. you know, like the much harder stuff, the much more discipline and Mm. like, here's the actual discipline of being an engineer, you know, and I have been teaching her this exact thing. Mm -hmm. I can't like on the last song that we worked on together. No kidding. Mm -hmm. I made her go back to the previous save version. I kept being like, go back, go back to the March 26th version and try again (laughs) or February 26th version and try again literally four times. Wow. And I think she wanted to murder me. So yeah. like each time I was like, I know that you probably want to murder me. Yeah. I would too. Uh-huh. I'm The reason I'm doing it is that this is the best way to approach this kind of thing. And you don't just want to keep changing. You want to really be intentional about your work. You want to always know where you're at and then take a chance. If it doesn't work, go back to the safe place, go touch base and then try again. And that's a really good illustration as, of why it's such a, it's a difficult thing to do what you did. 
And I would like to award you a gold star. Get out. Oh, <laughs> thanks, sweetheart. That's wonderful. I'm so grateful. Wow, gold star. Yeah. Oh, man, made my day. Really uh, turning things around over yeah. here. That's good. Uh, do you have something for This Feels Important? I do. Please hold for a very important message. Let's do yours first. Okay. And then... Let's see how time is because mine is sucky and probably would be kind of a longer conversation. Okay. And also it's not particularly urgent. Like it came up in the news over the last week, but also we could talk about it in two weeks. So why don't we do yours and see where we're at? Sounds good. Mine's also sucky. So hey, Hey, cool, great. Okay. Um, And also maybe we won't have to speak about it for too, too long because it really does build on some of the themes that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks in the Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, but I, I got Timothy Snyder's newsletter this morning. Um, Mine was also based on a Tim uh, Snyder, but not this, okay, not this today's. Is, <laughs> this is just the Timothy Snyder like fan podcast now. That's, that's all this is. Yeah. Um, uh, and if you haven't yet subscribed to a Substack, gosh, you got to go do it. Uh, just Google Timothy Snyder Substack and go do it. Uh, He's it's so smart. It has been such a. It's been. He, his writing has been the thing that has given me the most helpful perspective on the war in Ukraine um, than anything else I've read uh, or been reading during this this time over the last 46 days or whatever of the war um, and, and building up to it for that matter too. But this morning, his newsletter, uh, the subhead of his newsletter uh, was w- read how lies bring wars. And he tells a story uh, that just flabbergasted me um, in this news, in this newsletter, he was talking about how um, back in 2014, when Russia invaded Eastern Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it was a war then too. We didn't really, we didn't really hear about it in those kinds of terms then, did we? Like, no. I mean, like yes, we knew that Russia was attacking uh, Crimea, and they they were trying to annex Crimea, which they did eventually. It got, it got explained really clinically. Yeah, it like would, it was a board game, like it was risk or something, and like, oh, now Russia's doing this move, and what? But there was actual bombing and people dying and violence, like it was. And war. also, they were taking part of someone else's country. Yeah. It was like if Mexico just took back Texas, and the media were like, oh, now Mexico's taking back Texas, okay, and I'm, now now Texas is Mexican again, right? And people were kind of like fine with it, right? But it's like not fine, no, it's for not the f- people who live in Texas, not fine at all. Um, so, but but back in 2014, um, they. Russia was trying to make a play for a larger part of Eastern Ukraine than they actually were able to control eventually. Um, And so there was this, there's this town called, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. Yes. uh, Sloviansk. Slaviansk. I'm not sure how you say the name of the town, um, but it's a it's a, a transportation hub. It's a, like it's a strategically important mm-hmm. city in eastern Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, and Russia was trying to to capture that city. They didn't. They didn't succeed. They withdrew in July, early July of 2014. Um, this is from Timothy Snyder's newsletter. He says, six days later on 11 July, the Russian army began to shell the Ukrainian army in the Donbass region mm-hmm. uh, from, the ter- from the territory of the Russian Federation. So they were launching bombs from Russia into yeah. the Donbass region. The next day, Russian media distracted from both of these events, both the withdrawal, which they don't want yep. people to know about, and from their like new shelling, bombing of you know this other area. Yeah. They distracted from both of those events with an outrageous lie. The most important channel on Russian television told an entirely invented story about a non-existent three-year-old Russian boy 
crucified by Ukrainian soldiers on Lenin Square in Slovyansk. Mm -hmm. Okay, this did not happen. Somebody, some, some like Russian propagandist thinker type made up this story and the media took it and carried with, carried, you know, carried with it. And he did it in sort of a theoretical way, right? Like, we're like, almost created in a, like, from a laboratory of psychology. Like, right. what is the imagery that we, that we could use that right. would be the most effective for our target audience to turn them against Ukraine? Exactly. We've got to have an innocent child crucifixion specifically to have that religious religious element to it and this idea that it happened in Lenin Square. Well, first of all, there was no child. There was no crucifixion. There is no Lenin Square in Slovyansk. Like, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's a made-up place name. A made-up place name for a made-up story that became accepted as truth. Well, fast forward. Remember last week, Mm -hmm. there was that photo making the rounds on social media of a bomb that Russia had uh, had uh, was it the bomb that on the train station yeah, where they it's, killed? Yeah, it's, it's the missile they shot through the train station. They found the husk of it lying several hundred yards past the train station. Right, killed killed tons of people. Yeah. Right, civilians. Yeah. Right, and on the side of this the husk of this missile was painted, hand painted, for the children. Okay, yeah. this. This, this is where sto- that comes from. This story is a root of that. Yeah, because this lie. This lie that has become accepted as gospel truth in Russia, the, the soldiers believe it, the military believes it, the people believe it, the government believes, everybody believes it. Total lie made out of absolute whole cloth is now justification for murdering civilians. I mean, the town of Mariupol, they were saying yesterday that the mayor thinks that, that at least 10,000 civilians have been killed so far in Mariupol. It's yeah, probably and more, maybe twenty thousand. It's probably more like twenty thousand. Yeah. Like this lot. So so this this subhead. How lies bring wars. Just really struck home to me. And again, I'm relating it to our own country because I think it's useful to do that. We have this. We we, we have a whole party that controls like half of our government, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Republican Party, who are lining right up behind the big lie that the election in 2020 was stolen. Yeah. There are also a lot of them lining right up. We talked about this earlier. Like they're the senators who were trying to bring in, you know, QAnon uh, conspiracy theory propaganda into the Supreme Court justice hearings sure. about how Democrats are, you know, pedophiles that are that are grooming children. This that, grooming narrative is really like taking over, like on the right wing, like over the last month. It's really, really wild. It's crazy. And, and they're talking, and the way they frame it always is not like there's a couple of high level elected officials who are groomers. They they say all Democrats. They mean people like you and me. Right. They're like people like Shannon Curtis and Jamie Hill are groomers. They are pedophiles who are grooming children for sexual exploitation. Right. So here's the thing. Like I I get it, I get it that that the Republican Party has been telling outright lies for a very long time yeah. about things to get their way. Like I mean like 150 years. Yeah. And during reconstruction, black people can't have the right to vote because they're they they're promoting socialism. Yeah. It's just a lie. Or like, they're genetically inferior or fill in the blank sure. with whatever horrible thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like I get it. This is something they've been doing and I and I and I get that like it sounds absolutely crazy town yeah. to say that those lies could become pretext for actual violence and maybe war, except for we're seeing that exact thing actually, like we have a visual aid for the world to see 
that happening in Ru- yeah. in Russia right now. Like, we might as well just pivot at at some point here to the thing that I had because it's so related. Okay, I mean, it, but my my point really is that like we have to have accountability. Yeah. For people perpetrating the big lie, for people who tried to literally overthrow the U.S. government uh, prior to and on January sixth, yeah. including Donald Trump and all of his lackeys and the Republicans in Congress who helped and all the people who showed up to actually do the violent part of it. Yeah. Because the insurrection was not just about the violence, right? Like it was not at all just about the violence. That was like the cherry on top. They were planning for months, including Ginny Thomas, wife of Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice, planning, to, plotting to try to overturn an election. That's taking, like it's- A it, free and fair, legitimate democratic yeah. election. Yeah, yeah. like- these people need to be held accountable. The alternative to us not checking these lies in a very serious and significant way is that the lies become pretext for actual... I mean, well, the insurrection was violent. Five people died that day. Yeah. You know, But like on a grander scale, like if, the li- if part of the lies that they're telling is that like all Democrats are groomers, <laughs> like that sinks in to the place where people then justify for themselves, well, we should just be going to war against people who identify as Democrats. Yeah, we should be murdering them. They should die. Yeah. Literally. Because they're pedophiles. Right. Yeah. Lies bring wars. Lies make wars. Yep. So So what's your thing? So my thing, uh, it's also uh, derived from a Tim Snyder piece. (laughs) And Uh well, you know, he's like the authoritative historical source on this stuff right now. And it's a major deal right now. It's a major deal. I want to talk about denazification. And this also has to do with the language that is established as pretext for atrocities, right? That's sort of the, the umbrella over what we're about to talk about here. So I just want to quote a little bit to start from this piece because no one will say it better than him. Yeah. And so this was uh, last week. Uh, I don't know if any anyone listening would have remembered this or seen this in the news, but Russia mm-hmm. uh, issued a, basically a genocide handbook yeah. last week for its war on Ukraine. It was translated into English. I read the entire thing. It's fucking appalling. nuts. Yeah. It's, it's appalling, and it's also just batshit crazy. It's really wild. Yeah. It, like, I would encourage people to read it, and if I remember, I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to uh, read and just uh, skim through this piece from Tim Snyder. Okay. So Russia has just issued a genocide handbook for its war on Ukraine. Uh, the Russian official press agency, RIA Novosti, published last Sunday an explicit program for the complete elimination of the Ukrainian nation as such. Um, and so this piece, uh, th- this P, uh, PR thing, this mm-hmm. propaganda piece. Uh, it talks uh, the word denazification, <laughs> like, and that's what that's what Putin said. If you remember when yep. he went in first, you know, March twenty fourth to to Ukraine, he's like, we we're going to denazify Ukraine. We we're doing denazification, and the word denazification and and the word Nazi appear no joke maybe 100 or 150 times in this propaganda thing, mm-hmm. in this genocide manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really wild. Like, they get used so much, they almost become meaningless, which is part of that the point, the right? That is the point. So I'm going to read something. Uh, you need to understand the meaning of a pretty uh, pretty niche word. Okay. So I'll just define it ahead of time. You'll hear me use the word traducing. Okay. To traduce. Uh, it's a really specific word, but it means it's somewhere in between, like, to lie about and to smear and to ob or obscure okay. the actual meaning of. Okay. Okay. So, uh, 
A Nazi, as the Genocide Manual explains, and I'm reading from Tim Snyder here. A Nazi, as the Genocide Manual explains, is simply a human being who self-identifies as Ukrainian. <laughs> so uh, not actually what any of us think right. of as a Nazi. That's right. Right. According to the handbook, the establishment of a Ukrainian state 30 years ago was the Nazification of Ukraine. Indeed, any attempt to build such a state has to be a Nazi act. Ukrainians are Nazis because they fail to accept the necessity that people support Russia. Ukrainians should suffer for believing that they exist as a separate people. Only this can lead to what they characterize as the redemption of guilt. For, for being Nazis. Yes. For anyone still out there who believes that Putin's Russia opposes the extreme right in Ukraine or anywhere else, this genocide program is a chance to reconsider. Putin's Russian regime talks of Nazis not because it opposes the extreme right, which it most certainly does not, but as a rhetorical device to justify unprovoked war and genocidal policies. Putin's regime is the extreme right. Yeah. It is the world center of fascism. It supports fascists and extreme right authoritarians around the world. Yeah. In traducing the meaning of words like Nazi, mm. Putin and his propagandists are creating more rhetorical and political space for fascists in Russia and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. The Genocide Handbook explains that the Russian policy of denazification is not directed against Nazis in the sense that the word is normally used. The handbook grants with no hesitation that there is no evidence that Nazism, as generally understood, is important in Ukraine. It operates within the special Russian definition of Nazi. <laughs> a Nazi is a Ukrainian who refuses to admit being a Russian. The Nazism in question is amorphous and ambivalent. <sighs> One must, for example be able to see beneath the world of appearance and decode the affinity for Ukrainian culture or for the European Union as Nazism. So not so to the Russians, to Putin, and therefore to anyone who buys his propaganda in Russia, which is a lot of people. Yeah, like, like most, most of, of the them, population, yeah. Nazi is, they've just made up their own definition for Nazi. Yeah. Nazi doesn't mean fascist, doesn't mean extreme right wing, because obviously Putin is fascist and extreme right wing. Yeah. Like that's that's what's going on there. But their own definition of Nazi just means any Ukrainian who, or at least their own definition for now yeah. Yeah, of yeah. Nazi. Because yes. when you make up your own definition for words, you reserve the right to make up new definitions later if you oh, feel absolutely. like if it serves your, serves your needs, right? So right now the definition is any Ukrainian who refuses to accept that really they're Russian. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And you know, you touched oh on something there. God. The entire point of linguistics in authoritarian and fascist spaces mm -hmm. is to render meaning unknowable. Right. To render words meaningless. Right. To make it so that words don't have concrete and specific definitions that remain consistent mm -hmm. through time. Right. You know, as soon as you can reduce or eliminate people's ability to know what is or isn't real or true, you can control them completely. You can say what is. Yeah. And then you can change your mind and say something else is later on and, and people will buy it. Yeah, that's exactly because it. Because you've destroyed their ability to actually know what is. Yeah, if, if you control the meaning of language, you control people. <sighs> I, yeah, <laughs> big sigh. Yeah, right. So you know that's it's astonishing. It's not yeah, you know, I bringing it bringing it back to like, uh, you know, the the part of it that I was talking about, like in our own country, like it's it's a it's a similar situation to, you know, Republicans 
you know, uh, calling all Democrats groomers. Like, <laughs> you know, but because because we want to, because we want equality and representation for all LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. we're now groomers, and they're 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 making that word meaningless. Yeah, you know. Meanwhile, like pretty much every like elected official who gets arrested for actual like child abuse, pedophilia, like tell me how many of those are Democrats? Like. None. They're mostly Republicans. Re- yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's just it's it's another one of these cases. Like it's 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 a reversal of victim and abuser. You Darvo. Know? Yeah. Like it's it's constantly that over and over and over again. It's projection, saying the, the thing that you are saying that you know that's what Putin's doing. Putin is a Nazi. <laughs> he's the fascist. Yeah. And yet he's trying to make that word into something that means something different, so that he can justify uh, his actions of war and violence against a whole people. I saw a headline that came in earlier that President Biden referred to what's going on in Ukraine right now as genocide today for the first time. Good, I'm glad he did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Well, it's important. I don't have anything like positive to say about that. Sorry. It is what it is. Um, But I really do need for us to move on to Inspiration Station. Inspiration Station. It's nice to be here. Okay. Um, I'm going to start. I have two things. Wonderful. Uh, One is a quote that I saw a friend post on Instagram, a Thich Nhat Hanh quote, which really just was lovely. And Mm. it just is this, everything can begin with you. You are the foundation of any change that will happen in your society. And I just, you know, as as we were talking, we've been talking about how things are generally feeling terrible everywhere. It was... It was reassuring to hear this bit of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, what it said, what it spoke to me was that I don't, I don't have the power to change the big issues all on <laughs> my own, right? But what this spoke to me was that, like, the work that, I, that I'm doing on myself and mm-hmm. in myself mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. Um, because that has ripple effects into how I'm acting in the world and how I'm acting in the world has ripple effects in how other people are experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. And, and we motivate each other to do those kinds of positive changes that eventually become something like power in the world to yeah. get power with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's, what I, that's what I took from that. That's lovely. Yeah, how about I you? I like it. Uh, I have one. And mine is not exactly related, but I could see a tangential sort of connection. Okay. So mine is a quote from an early American philosopher. His name was James Mill. He died in 1836. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's what he had to say. And I just thought this was thought-provoking. And I'm going to read it twice because okay. it's slightly complicated. Okay. Like the first time you hear it, you'll be like, ah, oh, it's a lot of moving parts. So I'm going to read it two times. Okay, okay, okay? okay. So this habit of forming opinions and acting upon them without evidence is one of the most immoral habits of the mind. As our opinions are the fathers of our actions, to be indifferent about the evidence of our opinions is to be indifferent about the consequences of our actions. Mm. I'm going to read that last bit again. All right. As our opinions are the fathers of our actions, to be indifferent about the evidence of our opinions is to be indifferent about the consequences of our actions. Word. Right? Mm-hmm. 
What a wonderful clarion call to intellectual rigor. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's really great. Uh, my second item uh, comes from... You got a second item. I did. Dang. I did. I did too. I mean, we're just like so full of inspiration today. Uh, as part of my um, work in building up to this, this new song that we put out today... Um, I I had I've been wanting to watch for a long time, but never I had not gotten around to it. Watched the Netflix, the Brene Brown Netflix special called "Call to Courage." Yes, and so I watched it, and there was just one. There was lots. Of, I mean, Call if, to Courage kind of sounds like a first-person shooter video game. It does it? sort of sound like <laughs> there's no guns involved, um, but. Uh, it's great. If you have the ability to watch this special, I I can't recommend it enough. There's so many wonderful things in it. Uh, but there's this one quote that just made me giggle and also just got me thinking. Um, she was talking about how one of the most vulnerable things for uh, for women in particular to experience or to express or experience in the world, like is just it's it's the idea around body image. Sure, you know, and. Um, it's just one of the more vulnerable topics. And she was saying about how she has done a lot of work um, in herself on that topic uh, over the course of her life. And uh, where she's at right now is this quote. She's like, I'm dangerous. I love myself so much. <laughs> and I just love that. And it's, it's been in my mind since I saw the video because like, isn't that the truth? Like when... When we do the work on ourselves that bring us to a place of self-love, like when we really truly can get to the place where we where we we love who we are. When I love who I am, my body, my mind, my heart, you know, and I and I love I love me. Mm-hmm. There's like nothing I can't do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I'm unstoppable. I totally get that. Like and and those that 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 the strength of that of that of that position ebbs and flows for me you know like i'm not i'm not i don't perfectly love myself but i do understand that idea that when i do like, like i'm dangerous i love myself so much yeah. like I, I i love that i want that for all of us i want us all to be so loving of ourselves that we are dangerous in the world like that's just i love it it's very sweet it i is. like it too yeah very cool uh so uh let's do a gratitude crank up what you got uh, mine is just it's a it's just a moment today. Sometimes this joy hunting for gratitude uh, comes in just like small little moments, mm-hmm. and uh, honestly, those are some of the most fun for me. Just yeah. when I have given myself an opportunity to to notice that uh, something is whimsical or beautiful or fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. And today it was this whimsical weather moment that we had earlier today. So wild. It is April, what, 11, 12th yep, today? 12. Yep. And uh, it's fully springtime here. And yet we had for about an hour a full-on snowstorm <laughs> today. Like big, huge, flaky like huge, huge snowflakes. Yeah. Like that Shannon didn't grow up in a place with snow, so she doesn't know the snow words. Sorry, big, huge snowflakes, big, chunky snowflakes, a ton of them. Like, and, and it even accumulated on the ground for a little while. Yeah, it went right away. It's like 40 degrees out. It, 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 it's if, funny. It was 46 when it started. It got down to like 38, and now it's like 46 again. And the snow's gone. But like, I'm grateful for that like little moment of wonder and joy. You know, yeah. like it was, it's, it's something that wasn't supposed to happen like in terms of the season right now. Like, no, it was super very weird. weird. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those little moments. I'm grateful for that moment in particular because it was just, um, it brought to me a moment of whimsy and wonder. And, I, and I'm grateful for that. I love it. How about you? 
Uh, mine is just very simple. I'm grateful for you today, sweetheart, oh. and for the balance that you bring me sometimes when oh. I need it. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm happy to to be in your life in that way and other ways too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What are you grateful for, people? We'd love to know. Yeah. You know, you could message us. Shannon and I have an intentional gratitude practice and we have a whole gratitude topic. We have a daily gratitude topic inside our Misfit Star social network. Mm -hmm. And it's great because we just get to share what we're grateful for and hear what other people are grateful for kind of on a daily basis. And it... It's just a nice thing to have in your life regularly. Mm. People talking about gratitude and talking about gratitude to them and with mm -hmm. them, you know. If you need an outlet for that, you can always message one of us. If you want to email us, we're Jamie and Shannon, respectively, at MisfitStars.com. Uh, if you would like to get yourself into the Misfit Stars social network, well, first of all, if you're a supporting member of Misfit Stars, you already have your membership in there. Just message one of us and let us know, hey, send me an invite and we'll get you right in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for the people who are listening who are not yet supporting our work, you know, please do. Mm. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier in this very episode about uh, the sort of impossibility of like being a touring artist. And it gets harder the smaller you get. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When people are touring like arenas and stadiums and stuff like that, they're not getting air from the people who are there to see them. Like, <laughs> right. they're safe. They're fine. As long as they have good protocols on their crew, you, you, can, you can do a stadium tour, arena tour, all the way through completion. So, like, the Billie Eilish's of the world, they're out there. They're right. She's on tour right now. She's doing great. Everything's going great for them. Yeah. But, like, when you start playing in smaller spaces, like clubs, you're sharing air with the people who are there. When it gets small, like house concerts, it's impossible. Yeah. We can't do what we do without sharing air with people. Right. You know? Uh, so we could use more support, frankly. Because we can't really do any touring. Right yeah, now. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and we have been working, we've been taking the opportunity of this pandemic to shift this paradigm. You know, we we recognize when change is thrust upon us and we are totally down to pivot with it. And we've done that, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, the pivot we've been working on for the past couple of years is to shift as much of our income as we can over to just recurring small dollar monthly support from people who believe in our work. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I wish that we knew a Medici or somebody like that, you know, where we could just say, hey, person, why don't you just give us a hundred thousand bucks a year? One person, you know. <laughs> Wow, that would be amazing. But you know what? We don't know that person. Uh, we're looking. but And, and if you're listening, you, jamie at misfitstars.com. Reach out. But, you know, until then... Get in touch. You know, as you know, we do everything we do with a small community of people who believe strongly in what we put into the world, yeah. you know? And this new paradigm that we sort of invented for this is, hey, what if each of you pitched in 10 bucks? Mm -hmm. You know, 10 bucks a month. Uh, you know, for some people, that's absolutely not possible. We totally get it. Also, I know that there are a lot of grown-ups who listen to our work and who appreciate it. And if you're a person listening and you're like, I absolutely wouldn't miss $10 a month from my bank account, you know? Mm -hmm. I spend more than that, you know, on a coffee without even thinking about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you're that person, please go to misfitstars.com support. Like, do it right now while you're feeling inspired, you know? If you wait five minutes, you probably won't do it. But if right now you hit pause and you go to misfitstars.com support, have that good feeling in your mind about Jamie and Shannon, these two people who theoretically you love. Otherwise, why would you be listening to our stupid podcast? <laughs> really, you know? Why are you here? Why are you even here? Um, please do that. We, we would really appreciate more people supporting our work. And frankly, we could use it, it would you help. know? Uh, we're doing okay. We hope to be doing okay for longer. Yeah. And that's that's partially up to you. Yeah, definitely. Y'all, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I think that we, you know, even though we're going to be gone next week, we've given you such a meaty podcast this week that 
you could, you could maybe, well, you're listening now, you didn't split it over two weeks, but like you could, you could have split this over two weeks and like gotten your fill probably. Or maybe it was so many ideas you need to go back so you can really oh, assimilate them all. There you go. That's it. That's it. But we will be, we'll be gone next week. We'll return after our family, uh, family visit. Um, but thank you so much for being with us here today. And uh, we'll be back again in a couple weeks uh, with more. And until then, please take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. See you later. See ya.